This is a Woodside Church podcast. Many of you would know that we are loving looking back in the book of Nehemiah and looking at how that applies to our situation here. And I'm thrilled that uh, I have Jonathan Moore bringing God's word to us. Uh, many of you will know John, not everyone. Uh, uh, John and family have been with us for a couple of years now. Uh, real, really generous man, uh, loves Woodside and is, loves the word and is a great, great preacher and teacher. So uh, really excited to have John to, to bring God's word to us. So maybe you could welcome John. Thank you, Martin. As Martin says, my name is uh, Jonathan. Been with you for pushing three years now, along with my my wife Lois at the back. Not three years yet, but getting there. Um, and my son Peter. I have another son who's at university, who very few people have seen. Um, and yeah, next number three in the series, Nehemiah, a time to rebuild. Um, last week we got to the end of chapter two where Nehemiah says, and the people say, let us start rebuilding. And so this week, we're on to chapter 3, Nehemiah chapter 3, which is, who did what? Um, <clears throat> now, I'm not going to read the whole of chapter 3 to you. This is just some, uh, some selected verses, which I think we've got on the uh, screen. They're very small. You probably can't read these. But this is the sort of thing that chapter 3 is about. Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar son of Imri built next to them. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Joyada son of Passia and Meshulam son of Besodia. Shalom son of Halahesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. And between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. So thank you, Martin, a list of names to preach. It's good, isn't it? Um, So actually, although my brief was Nehemiah 3, I'm going to take most of what I say from Nehemiah 4, one verse in there, um, which is this, Nehemiah 4, verse 6. And so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Now, I looked at that last phrase in a number of translations. Very easy online nowadays. The people had a mind to work. They worked with enthusiasm. They had a will to keep working. They were committed to working. They have a heart to work. And what I want to show you today is that the mature, healthy Christian life is one of hard work to build the kingdom of God. Um, But there is one thing that I want to establish first, and that's this. Work plays no part in saving you. Okay. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote a whole letter to a church called the Church of the Galatians that was caused by the fact that he had discovered that somebody had misled them into thinking that what they did could save them. That's not true. There is not a list of things you need to do and achievements you need to have before the cross that we sang about just now, Jesus' cross, can save you. There just isn't. Um, So don't think that getting involved in church activities, trying not to swear, giving money to this, that, and the other cause, or whatever it is, makes the slightest difference to your acceptability before God. You're acceptable because Jesus died for you. Um, And nothing you do can help that. And the wonderful thing, therefore, is there is nothing you need to do in order to step into that. Um, So 
Paul wrote this in, uh, in a letter he wrote to a guy called Titus. He said, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. So if you're here and you haven't taken that step of saying, I want to surrender my life to Jesus and come into that death on the cross and all that it means for me, you can do that this morning. And if anybody has told you, you've got to do this, told you in the past, you've got to do this, that, or the other, before you can do that, it's not true. It's a lie. And what I'm telling you this morning is some of what comes next. The other thing I'd say before I go on, um, we have a lot of people from a lot of different situations at the moment. We have people who've just come back for the first week. You may have been knocked a bit sideways by COVID. That's fine. If this is not for you this morning, this may be for you in the future as well. You need, may need some restoration. You may need the rest of the church to serve you for a bit and minister to you before you're ready for this. That is absolutely fine. I'm not trying to condemn anybody this morning. Say, you get back to work, you lazy people. That's, that's, that's not what, what I'm talking about this morning. But I do want to show you that mature faith leads to work for the kingdom of God. Um, now I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the hymn to love um, that everybody knows. It's read at weddings and so forth. Um, and Paul says, one verse in there, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now Ruth Matthews preached through this last year. I recommend it, still on YouTube. Um, but what I want to show you, tell you is Paul was writing here to an immature church. Um, he was writing to a church to correct a whole load of things. And he, the chapter is there because he's saying, this is how you should be exercising your spiritual supernatural gifts. You're not doing it with love at the moment. And so he's laying foundations. He's saying, these are the things that you need to be built into, and then you can build on top. The foundational things are faith, hope, and love. Now, Paul is consistent about this. A couple of, uh, I'm not going to read through these uh, um, these verses in total, but a couple of verses from Ephesians and Colossians. These are at the start of the letters. Again, I don't expect you can see them, but Paul writes to the Ephesian church, and he says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, and later on he says, and I am praying that you may know the hope better. Yeah, the foundations. First chapter, first thing he says to the Ephesians, these things are important. He writes to the Colossians, and he says, when we pray for you, we thank God when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. These things are all over the place in Paul. They occur together. They're not just that thing from Corinthians. Now, as a bit of a contrast to the Corinthian letter, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, and he says to the Thessalonians, you have smashed it. You're living out the gospel. I am so proud of you. You're doing everything so well. And sure enough, the first few verses to the Thessalonians, what do we find? Faith, hope, and love. But what we find in the Thessalonians is what those things cause in a mature church, what the outcome of faith, hope, and love is. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, we remember before God our Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, literally translated um, in the language that Paul was writing in, it says, works of faith, labor of love, and endurance of hope. So I'm just going to go into two of them. I'm not going to do hope today. I just haven't got time. 
But I'm going to talk about work, work of faith and labor of love. See, it's, this is not a legalistic gospel of works. I've already said work does not save you. Um, and a wise man once said, what we believe changes how we behave. That wise man was David Devonish. <laughs> Last year, again, it's on YouTube. The gospel results in action. Okay? Different types of belief have different effects. Temba, you may believe that elephants are grey. I suspect you do. I can't tell that by looking at what you do. But if you came to believe that this ceiling was about to collapse, I would be able to tell. Because you would very definitely act on that. Now, Temba's a good man, so he'd be getting everybody else out first. <laughs> Naturally, he would be. But you can tell. Um, and so the question is, what is it that your faith leads you to believe? And because there is this view, oh, I've got faith and that's fine, I don't need to do anything. It's just faith. What does faith lead you to believe? Does it lead you to believe that Jesus is Lord and therefore should be obeyed? Does it lead you to believe that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel? Does it lead to, to believe that Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself? And then he explained, love your neighbor as a man who went out and put himself out for the good of others. You can see what you believe will come out in, you, in how you behave if you really believe it. And uh, James, writing in the Bible, in James chapter 2, again, I'm not going to read all of this, um, but he says, show me your faith without deeds. It's the last sentence in the, in the section that's showing. Show me your faith without deeds. I will show you my faith by what I do. He's saying, I can tell what you believe by what you do. That's the kind of belief a Christian belief is. It's not just it's a set of facts. It's a set of things that affect your life and your behavior. And Paul isn't as odd, odds with James. Sometimes people say, James said this and Paul said that, and they're at odds with each other. But Ephesians 2 is up there as well. For we are God's workmanship. This is Paul. Created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So that's work of faith. Faith comes out in work. The other one was labor of love. Remember that? So when we say works of faith, that... that Word, oh, I'm going to say in the, I'm going to, I was trying to avoid saying in the Greek, but I just feel it coming on me. That word, <laughs> that word is about activity. It's stuff that you, it's just stuff you do. Um, just really means activity. But labor, that word labor is, has the connotation of hard physical labor, exertion, something that exhausts you. And the reason it's translated labor in most of our Bible translations is because that's what that word means. And, you know, childbirth, we call it labor because it's hard. Um, so there's no wishy-washy feeling. This labor of love is not wishy-washy. Oh, we're sending your thoughts and prayers. Um, I do hate that when people say that on the, on the, on the media. When they don't pray. You know they don't pray. They don't believe in it. Sending your thoughts and prayers. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, and this is what um, the Apostle John said. First uh, John chapter 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth. So, conclusion of this little section is that the mature Christian life is characterized by activity, works, another word for it, which arises from faith, hard graft arising from love, and persistence and steadfastness arising from hope. 
Now, I'm not going to go, as I say, into hope. I just haven't got the time. Now, that does not sell well in today's world, in today's culture. Um, <clears throat> so, a natural question that I expect people to ask is, well, why would I want that kind of life? Why would I want a life that's going to be hard work, labor for me? Now, I've rewritten this section. Um, I was pondering on Thursday evening, why did Nehemiah get such a good response? Um, were the people just naturally more inclined to work in his days? And I dug into it, and when I realized why Nehemiah had such a good response from his laborers, I almost cried, because it's so sad. Let me explain. Um, going back pre-Nehemiah, most people will be familiar with the verse in Jeremiah, um, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah was writing to the exiles, the people of Israel who'd been exiled into Babylon, um, right at the start of the exile. And some of them were saying, this is not God's will, we should try and fight and get back. And Jeremiah was saying, no, God promised he would exile you, he is. This is God's will for you, but God says he's going to look after you in Babylon. He's going to prosper you in Babylon. And then, that bit, hope and future, you read on, what he means by, I'm going to give you hope and a future, I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem. You're still my people. 70 years, he said, and I will bring you back. So that was the plan. That was the hope and the future. 70 years. And what God did is he brought about a change in the regime. So Babylon was um, conquered by Persia. Persia had a different foreign policy. They didn't want to pull people out of the countries they conquered. They wanted them to live there, serve their own gods, and be, be happy. That's they just had a different view on things. Um, and so Cyrus, the king of the Persians, wrote a decree, and we find this in the start of, of Ezra, the book before Nehemiah, and he said, the Jews who've come out of um, Israel and come to Babylon, any of you can go home. Anybody who wants to, you can return. So 50,000 Jews got together and came back, and they were the ones who built the temple before Nehemiah's day. They built the temple and started living in the land. Um, <clears throat> and the thing that... Uh, almost brought me to tears, was that there were two million Jews in Babylon. That's two and a half percent of God's people, with all that prophecy from Jeremiah over there, actually wanted to follow up on it and come back. It was a long, hard journey. When they got there, they'd have to break up soil that hadn't been farmed for 20 years. They'd have to build their own houses. And 97 and a half percent of God's chosen people, no, we're okay, thank you. We're comfortable where we are. Isn't that sad? Oh, that's just so sad. Now, Tim Keller, many of you may know Tim Keller. He's a Bible teacher, great guy. And he writes about the idols of the heart, the things that you can get in your heart that supersede your, your devotion to God. And one of the big ones he pulls out in the modern world is comfort, that you want to be comfortable. And he says it's endemic to our Western culture. Um, it's just the way we live, in the West particularly, not so much elsewhere, but in the West, we just want to be comfortable. And Keller says, for each of the idols, there are quite a few of them, but for each of the ones he identifies, he says, this is how you'll find yourself feeling if this is there for you. And he says, if you have this idol of comfort in your life, you will find that you are bored. Because you were not made to be satisfied by comfort and by consuming things. You were made to be satisfied by working for the kingdom of God. Yeah. Now, I, I read this a book he wrote, um, Counterfeit Gods, sort of b just before Christmas last year, and I found myself saying, that's exactly how I watch television. That's exactly how I eat. 
and how I determine my diet. I don't want that stuff. I know it's bad for me, but I'm going to eat it anyway. Yeah. It's how I do my admin work, just the stuff that's not work, you know, stuff we all have to do, and procrastination. I just thought, oh, goodness, that's, that's really strong in me, this comfort. Um, but I was made for the satisfaction of working for the kingdom of God. Um, and the world would say, if you're, if you're bored, have another box set. There you are, there's loads of box sets online. Go and, go, go and find another one of those, and you'll just be more bored. I've talked to at least a couple of people in the church during the pandemic who said, I started off throwing myself into Netflix or whatever it was at the start of the pandemic. And it was just so dull. And one of those people said, and then I picked up my Bible, and it had been a month of Netflix, and at the point we spoke, it had been, I think, three or four months of Bible, and they're loving it. Um, that's what you were made for. You're not made for the comfort. Um, where are you? Okay. Um, God has blessed me in the last 10 years, that's maybe a bit of a surprise, with a bit of a midlife crisis. Now, it's the standard midlife crisis, looking at where am I, oh, I'm, I'm getting older, I'm no longer as young as I was, what have I done? But it hasn't been, therefore I need a red sports car, or a Harley Davidson, or all of the other things. Yeah. What, the reason God has blessed me is that I started looking, what could I have done for God versus what I have done for God? Yeah. The amazing thing, there's been no condemnation on that. It's been a, yeah, I haven't, you know, if I had started in my 20s reading the Bible, I'm a bit of an academic. Yeah, I study, study the Bible, I love it, but I started quite late. If I'd started in my 20s, what could I have done for God? Yeah, and there's a, there's a, um, actually, let's have the, uh, the, the, the next, the psalm up, if we could, Stephen. I got a little bit lost in my notes on what the order in. Um, this is Psalm 84. The Sons of Korah in the Bible. This is one that has just been sort of heavy on me for the last few years. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now, the tents there are not a, you know, they're, they're not a... Um, what is it you go to? We used to go to something called Grapevine. I've forgotten the one. that Stonely, that's what it is. It's not that kind of tent. This is a nomadic culture where t- people who owned tents were in charge of them. They were often quite rich. Abraham was rolling in money and lived in a tent. Um, so what they're saying... <laughs> it worries me when David Devonish chuckles at me. <laughs> I got something wrong. Um, <laughs> um, so what, what the psalmist is saying is, I would rather be a housemaid or a footman. If you watch Danton, you're familiar with those roles. Housemaid or a footman in God's palace than have my own palace without God. Yeah? Um, and I, I'm just reminded of a, a song we used to sing in the 80s. I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. I want to serve the purpose of God while I'm alive. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. Yeah, that's in the Bible. First Corinthians chapter three. Now Paul is mostly talking to leaders here, but I think it bears reading. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If you build with gold and silver, you're building something eternal. If you build with hay or straw, it will just disappear. 
We actually, the first song we sang, we said we're living for eternity. That's this verse. That's, that's Corinthians chapter 3. So, moving on. We're going to get back to Nehemiah eventually. I promise you we will. If, yeah, just about got time. Working for the kingdom. What do we do and how do we do it? Um, Ephesians chapter 2, going back to that, Paul said, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. What are they? How do I know? Well, some, some suggestions from Nehemiah chapter 3. Um, before I get there, I've just got to say this is not about Sundays. This is not a recruitment drive for Sunday teams. If you think, I want you to sign up for something or other on a, that we do on a Sunday... It's much, much worse than that. (laughs) It's your whole life. It's 24-7 of dedication and service to God. Sundays will happen if we do that. I'm not worried about Sundays if we get hold of this. Our life is about serving God. We won't have a problem with teams if everybody's doing that. Honestly. Sunday is like a family event. We all get together. Everybody pitches in and it works. We have family events with sort of 20 people. Um, Christmas has got too big for houses, so we hire a hall now. Everybody pitches up. Everybody does what they can do, um, what they're good at. Everything works. Everything's tidied away. We have a great day. That's what Sundays are. Secondly, it's all about people. When we talk about building, it's not about organizations and ministries. In Ephesians 2, um, Paul covers this. Um, just the last verse of the, the section up there. He says, in him, in Jesus, you two, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What we are building is a building of people. Um, and in Peter, the same thing. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's all about people. And you know, your family counts. Um, if your work at the moment is loads of small children and bringing them up to know God and to serve God, that counts. Yeah. So, actually got back to Nehemiah now. Um, how do you determine what to do? Well, one principle is just do the work in front of you. So a whole bunch of people in Nehemiah just did the repairs in front of their own house. Every morning they would walk out of their front door and they'd see the broken down wall in Jerusalem. And so they said, I'm going to fix that bit. Yeah. Um, a man called Paul Scanlon, some of you may have heard of, he was the leader who set up Abundant Life Church in Bradford, he's now Life Church, um, and grew it quite, quite large, quite quickly. Um, and he says in a book he wrote called Crossing Over, he says this, your irritation is your ministry. What you can't stand is what you were put here to stand up for. He wrote elsewhere, I had 81 people in my church who had complaints. We now have 81 ministries. Now, you use the, use the word complaints like the old-fashioned Christians use the word burden, which is a bit of a religious word. But God puts something on your heart, something that exercises you, something that niggles you. Good chance that's what you're called to do. Um, I... The, the parents of a friend of ours left their church and they, they explained their reason to us, I don't know quite why but the reason was they don't do enough fellowship, you know, we're not getting to know people because they just don't have get to know you type of events um, and I said well you've got the biggest house 
of anybody in that church. Your children are all adults. Um, You've got a wonderfully equipped kitchen. uh, You have all your evenings free. What do you think is going on here? And I said all of that to them in my head. (laughs) While while to their faces, I said, oh, what a shame. I hope you find a good church. Um, So, yeah. It can be set by who you know, what you do, what you care about. Sometimes it can be in front of you. Um, Judges chapter 6, that that bit from Paul Scanlon, um, your irritation is your ministry. I love this. Um, God comes to Gideon and says, God's with you. And Gideon says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. He's got a complaint. What does God say? The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I'm very careful with the phrase, somebody should, nowadays, and they should. These they people who apparently can fix everything if they just thought the right way like I do. Because Jesus gave us a golden rule. It's referred to as the golden rule. Whatsoever you wish somebody would do for you, you do for them. So I really, really try not to find myself saying, oh, somebody should do that. Because, yeah, I may very well be that somebody. So, you can do the work in front of you. Alternatively, you could just go with the need. Not everybody had a house by the wall. Um, and even some who did worked elsewhere. The high priest, Eliashib, the, the first verse we read was about him. Um, he didn't work next to his house. I don't know why, but he worked over the other side of Jerusalem. Somebody else worked in front of his house. There were work parties from neighboring towns who all pitched in where they were needed. Um, Jericho, Tekoa, Gibeon, and Zanoah are mentioned particularly. Um, If people had only built outside their own house, there would have been gaps. Not all of Jerusalem was housing housing land. And so many individuals and groups must have come to Nehemiah and said, I'm in, I see your vision, what can I do? Where do you want me to go? Um, The men of Tekoa, I like these guys. Um, Early on in the chapter, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. Good, they pitched in, they built something. But then they finished. And so later on in the chapter, we get next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting wall, tower to the wall of Offal. The men of Tekoa, yeah, we're up for this, Nehemiah. We finished that bit. Can we do some more? It's good, isn't it? You don't always have to wait for a calling. I have never had a calling to play the bass beyond um, Rachel and somebody at my other church saying, we're a bit short of musicians. Can anybody do this? Yeah? I'm pleased to. It's great. I enjoy doing that. Uh, thank you. Um, working next, next thing from Nehemiah, number five, work together. We're called to work together. Jesus sent out his disciples in pairs. Um, Paul and his missionary journey is always done in pairs in the Bible. You do get the occasional lone missionary doing stuff. Philip in the Bible was on his own. But broadly, God says work together. Um, Ephesians 4, and I I am going to read all of this because I I like this. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and then become mature, attaining to the whole measureness of the fullness of Christ. He's talking about maturity. 
Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, he will in, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Nehemiah's teams were made of households and families, different professions, people from different regions. They all had something that brought them together as a team to work for the, for the purpose of building um, Jerusalem. Find your bonds. You know, Martin was talking last week about the small groups that are springing up. That's people with a common bond working to build the kingdom of God. We work together. <coughs> so what it all looked like was this, Stephen. I'm hoping this uh, map, this no, it doesn't really work, does it? On the blue background. Um, this is Nehemiah's Jerusalem. Can you see it? you see the shape of it? There's a, a coloured section that somebody's gone through for each of the people who worked on the wall. Um, unfortunately, this, this corner is the same colour as the background. What, <laughs> they didn't have a gap there. Um, <clears throat> and that's what it looks like. I did actually bring this. Does that work? Yeah. Up here, all these little bits. That's where the people are working in front of their own houses. Eliashib, the high priest, he's there, but he's working over there. The men from Tekoa built this bit, and then they went off and built this bit here. Yeah? Now, I've worked on a few big projects, and um, to be honest, the projects I've built on, uh, there'd be a gap around here, because this guy and that guy weren't talking to each other, um, didn't want to join the wall up. Um, <laughs> This, this bit would never have started because they couldn't agree what colour they were going to paint it when they finished it. Um, over here, you, we'd have two walls because two people thought they should be building that section, so they built one in front of the other. And then over here, on an entirely different hill, there'd be a group of people who thought you should just start from scratch and were building walls over there. Yeah. And actually, there's a serious point here. What you see in this plan of Jerusalem that may not be immediately obvious is Nehemiah's hand of leadership. Yeah. Nehemiah was a gifted leader bringing people together to do this um, he doesn't blow his own trumpet too much in the book but he couldn't have done it if he wasn't um, he was God's appointed leader with all of the skills and leaders under him for the time so the last, last point I'm going to make you'll be pleased about that I've overrun a bit already is work under God's appointed leaders um, and there's, a, there's one verse in chapter 3 and there's only one set of people who weren't in, up for it. Um, and that was the, the nobles of Tekoa. Remember the men, of, the men of Tekoa, the workers, the ordinary people? They're great, built two sections. But the nobles of Tekoa, it says, would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. I wondered why. I read some commentaries. That word shoulders in Hebrew is actually neck, which is a symbol of pride in Hebrew. That word work is not the same word as work elsewhere. It's more of a subservient thing. These people had a problem with leadership. They had a pride problem. I'm not, maybe it was, who does this Nehemiah think he is rocking up from Jerusalem? Not Jerusalem, sorry. Rocking up from Babylon and telling us we've got to build things. We came with the first 50,000 people. Um, who's he, this upstart? Don't know. Maybe it was that, maybe it was something else. But the language seems to say it's pride and it's a problem with leadership. You will not always agree with your leaders. And Dawn, if you could just put your hands over Martin's ears. Um, <laughs> They will, they will not always be right, okay? <laughs> but that matters a lot less than you would think. 
Because the same God that forgives you when you get things wrong and has grace for you has grace for the leaders in the church. Okay? So, I'm going to wrap up. Yay. Wrapping up. Um, just a few points. God is in control and God has a plan. The plan of God, we saw it in Jeremiah. 70, Jeremiah prophesied 70 years. 70 years later, a man called Daniel prayed and God sent him an angel who said, I have a plan for the rest of it. And referring to the coming of an anointing wa- anointed one, who might that be? Well, there's lots of debate, actually. But he said, I've got this plan, and that plan starts from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. So these laborers were part of God's plan in a way that the ones who stayed in Babylon weren't. They disappear from history, I'm afraid. And God is not surprised or put out by the pandemic. He's working in it. He's doing an awful lot of different things all over the place. He's a master craftsman. He's all plans all weaving together to achieve things we could never imagine. And in his grace, he's given a church in Bedford a chance to reboot and rebuild, to work for his kingdom, maybe take new ways, maybe take new directions as a church or individually, and that's what we're about. And that's what our leaders have seen and said to us, and that's the way they're guiding us. If there are, I'm going to ask Martin to come and pray in a minute because I think I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of uh, tailing off. If there are two takeaways, I've said quite a lot, if there are two things I'd like you to take away, um, it's two of these Bible verses. It's the heart of the psalmist. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. That's the heart God's looking for. Um, and the other one is work together. Work together. I spoke a few weeks ago about serving one another and I didn't make a big thing of work together so I I think today I want to work together we've had a a team up here today that are united by the fact that they can play musical instruments and it sounded good didn't it I enjoyed that Um, so from him the whole body joined and held together this is that verse from Ephesians I read earlier joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work Let's get with God's program. It's going to be hard work, but that's the life. Thank you. Let's stand, shall we? Tabs just said that was good. I mean, that was amazing. John, my goodness. Well done. Let's give this man... just pray to finish shall we God we thank you for your word thank you for the example of Nehemiah and the people of God thank you so how much thank you that's oh, sorry, I can't get my words in thank you so much for how that speaks to us today thank you God that what we're facing today is not a surprise to you thank you that you've got your hand on each of our individual lives But more than that, I thank you that you've got your hand on our lives together. God, we want to be those doorkeepers. All of us. We want to serve you as we serve your purposes. We want to be a a mature people. Faith, hope and love. God, I pray would you help us to outwork all that John has so helpfully communicated to us. Thank you for what a blessing John and Lois are, and Peter as well. 
Lord, we thank you for that you brought that family to us. And they are such a blessing to us. God, I pray, would you go with us and help us to move from this place in you. In Jesus' name we pray and for his glory. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.